Sinking in, in three, three, two, two one. one. Almost Christmas. Wait, what did you say? It's almost Christmas. Fascinating. Oh. <laughs> mm. oh. By the time this episode comes out, it will have been Christmas and Christmas will be over. That's Wow. <laughs> that sounds like a grammatical, it will have been Christmas. That is, what is that? The future? Past, past perfect. You're past perfect. Or yeah, future perfect. I think you're right. Um, Matt, I didn't, your Grinch is showing. <laughs> no, that's my troll. Oh. It's a very specific kind of troll. It's just for you. No one else cares. Welcome back to the Fascinating Podcast. This is episode 281. It is our final episode of the year, and so we're counting down our favorite things in 2020. Yes, we did manage to find some. I am J.R. Forceros. And I'm Kathy Kong. I'm Matt Michelotis. And I'm Clay the Caboose Morgan. <laughs> uh, so before we dive into our picks for this week, Kathy, uh, I understand that you found a magic puzzle in the wild. Yes, we found two magic puzzles in the wild, actually. You found two? We did. We went to Target for... Oh, I thought you meant like literally like out in out the Out in the wild. The in the wilds of the <laughs> suburbs. The uh, wild it's, suburbs. It's actually become really trendy in Chicago to forage for puzzles. Isn't that right? Mm. It is. It's kind of like... 2020, man. Geocaching. <laughs> okay, so uh, you bought yeah. two? No, we didn't. Bought we bought one. one. We were okay. told not to buy the second one. Oh. <laughs> but so we bought... We bought the one after some discussion in the mm. aisles of Target because mm. Peter was having a difficult time understanding my enthusiasm and oh. the importance of getting this puzzle. Because he hadn't listened to last week's he, podcast He had yet. not yet listened to the podcast. Mm. And so I'm trying to describe this to him. And he's looking at me like, you're not making any sense. And you know what? It doesn't make, it doesn't matter. I'm always right. So eventually <laughs> that puzzle made it into the shopping cart. It was not on the list along with another puzzle, which I don't think will be nearly as fun. So anyway, the puzzle and he opened it and he's like, wait, there are envelopes. <laughs> Did you not listen to me? I told you that there is a puzzle in the puzzle. So um, I love the artwork. It was so winsome and delightful. And there are like Easter eggs you're looking for. And I will say we were disappointed. We think that the puzzle was missing a piece. <gasps> yes. Yes. It's okay. I mean, everything went well. But so we're putting the puzzle together. And again, just like you said, JR, it's very clear something is going on with this puzzle because there are more than four corners. Like it, <laughs> it, the edge thing is just wild. And now is this like, is this you and Peter? Is it all five of you? Like what? So Peter starts it and he's going to, I, I'm sure he'll listen to this. Peter, you get credit. You started the puzzle. Okay? <laughs> you started the puzzle and you got us started. And then Bethany joined in. And then it was the two of them. And I have this sweet picture of the two of them at the table 
working on the puzzle. And at how the long, end, how long before they started kind of like freaking out a little bit because there were like extra corners and edges? I don't know if they were freaking out. It was more like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that was this. What is going on? And okay, I'm that like, was I my. Told you, yeah, <laughs> right. I, why doesn't it's, anyone is, ever listen to me? It is hard to it, it's hard to wrap your mind around, especially if you like puzzles, right? Because it doesn't make sense, right? Until you're doing it and you're like, wait, this. This, what is happening on my puzzle table right now? Right, right. And then <laughs> we are doing it on a low table. Um, that's like a traditional Korean table where you would be sitting down at the table to eat. So it's of limited size. I hadn't thought this through when they set it up. And the Why table would is you? Because black. puzzles don't do that. Right. Puzzles don't move once you put the puzzle down. And there's like this ornate design on it to kind of mimic mother of the pearl, which is how these traditional tables are decorated. So again, I was like, you know, I feel like we've been through this before when you've done a puzzle on this table that you should put down maybe like a sheet or some paper so that you're not distracted by the background. So that made putting the puzzle together even a little more challenging because we're Mm. trying to, anyway, it was so fun. And then we finish the puzzle but not because there's this gaping hole in the puzzle. The magic is how the magic, right? And then he opens the other envelope and it tells us what to do. And we're trying to figure out how to move the puzzle on this table because it has edges and we figure it out and open the other envelope to finish all the, you know, it was super fun. And then (laughs) Peter and I just kind of sat there for a little bit thinking, wow, Somebody had to think about how this was going to work and engineer this puzzle. It is amazing. It was delightful. Wow. Super fun. Wow. That's fun. That's wild. It's, it's so interesting Like that a building a puzzle actually builds such a sense of suspense and expectation and excitement. Yes. It, yes. it was a singular experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it was so singular, how come Kathy had it too? Well, you know. For a puzzle. It, it, And we've done other 3D puzzles. So we've bought those, like, it's a building kind of thing. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and that oh, yeah. that's different because this was, uh, like, how, trying to figure out how did they design this puzzle so that they knew it was going to work. Um, because both then, pictures are complete. Like, yes. Even after you move. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and then the fun part, too, was realizing um, it can be done again, right? Because I was like, wait, how does, how will this work? And so the, the additional puzzle pieces are marked differently on the back. So you can put them back and pass this along. Um, and usually with puzzles, we'll, we'll let it sit for a while. But once we had finished the first puzzle and started and moved the pieces and discovered that there was this like second puzzle to complete. There was no like, oh, we're gonna take a break. It was like <laughs> a race to the finish. And so the three of us are like picking up pieces, trying to figure it out, giving up and like putting it to the side. And it was like, oh look, I got another piece. And it was, and Peter kept saying, you know, I started this. Yes. Okay, Peter, you get credit. You started this. You started this. Good job. It was fun. Well, and with that one in particular, it 
the center, the new, the new piece, the new picture completes the story yes. that was going on. Yep. Um, now I will say I, I've, there are three of these that exist so mm-hmm. far and I've done the city one, which I think was not one of the three available or one of the two available that you saw. You saw the islands one, right? Yes. Yes. Um, the city one, the, the, the centerpiece, there's no story to the puzzle. It's just like okay. a city and it's cool. Like it was pretty and cool art and all of that kind of stuff. But um, eh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out who we're going to pass this on to. <laughs> That's fun. Somebody who's going to really enjoy kind of the thrill of the, the puzzle. Anyway. That was magic puzzle, puzzle company folks. Yes. And on this episode, we will all plead our case for why Kathy should bequeath her magic puzzle to us. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really fun. Give it another 10 minutes. And the medicine should really kick in. Uh, that's funny. Well, okay. on today's show, we're actually going to go through our favorite books, television and movies of 2020, which that's a lot of things. Um, JR typically has four to six choices for each category, so we're going to try and hold him to three, uh, and maybe he can pick one up if we're if we're missing him. Kathy, there's a movie I want to talk about uh, a little bit, but I wonder if it's going to be one of your picks, and it I don't is. want to. Oh, it is. Okay, so let's wait till yeah. then to talk okay. about that. Then, okay. Um, so let's jump in. Let's jump in and start with books. Clay, you were just saying the other day that you've had kind of a slow reading year. Not that you're reading slowly, but that you found <laughs> reading more difficult this year. Not like more difficult. You know what I mean? Uh, what? Give us an idea. What held your attention in 2020? Yeah. D- did you share with anybody else, Matt, that little side conversation we had where somebody labeled it reader's block? No, no. I think that was just you and me. I thought that was a really great phrase for it. Uh, someone someone you knew heard, had heard someone describing this idea of reader's block in 2020. And I definitely think I had it. But um, yeah, I'll start off with one that I know we talked about on this show for sure, which was Interior, Interior Chinatown. Yeah. Um, it just came out in 2020. Oh, and by the way, I guess we should set the rules for this, right? Because <laughs> I consumed a lot of stuff that in 2020 that was created before 2020, right? Totally fine. So um, I'm yeah. talking about stuff that was I, – I tried to focus on stuff that was created or released in 2020, right? Yeah, that, I'm um, sticking to that. But I, I think okay. anything – you know, we're pretty informal here at the Fascinating Podcast, Clay. I just want to follow the rules. No there rules. were rules? I mean, there's one rule. You only get three choices. That's your one rule. <laughs> well, JR. then JR definitely will fail. Yeah, I know. Uh, Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. It has uh, since release won the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. Just a, an amazing achievement. Uh, we talked about this. It's going to be, it's already being adapted. JR, I forget who picked it up, uh, but it's being adapted into some kind of property i think a tv series that'll be interesting um, because this was such a well you you experienced it as an audiobook right i did yeah which is weird in itself right because i don't see the tags and the screenplay style was written in it. right like it literally i i read it on my kindle and it's it is laid out like a screenplay so i i'm curious <laughs> i mean it seems it seems like one of those things that the screen the screenplay format is part of the way the novel is making a commentary like it's it's part of the form yeah and so i'm i'm curious when when you when you literally turn it into a screenplay 
Like they'll have to do something else visually to communicate that piece of the social critique. Now, I so, trust them, but yeah, and it's just it just does a lot of interesting things. And I, I I commented multiple times. I think we had some phone calls while I was reading it, saying like this is purely autobiographical, right? There, this definitely has to be true. But then I don't know. I read some interviews, and I don't know how much of it is true at all either way it's incredibly imaginative and poignant and memorable and i just really um when i think of the best books and granted i did not read as much as any of you uh as far as straight books i read a ton of like industry niche specific stuff that is not exciting or interesting or whatever and i (laughs) I read some stuff that didn't come out in 2020 but for me that's definitely number one not, not not number one overall, but that's the first one that came to mind. It was that was, it was a terrific book. Kathy, did you read this one yet? I have not read it. It is on my list uh, at the library, so I shall get it. I am looking forward to it. I've literally never heard of it till just now. Really? No, that's, I'm just kidding. I was just saying, <laughs> definitely not true. Oh man. But. Okay, so the medicine is definitely kicking in because I totally well, believe that. No, it, it was pl- It's plausible in the lore of this podcast history. It is definitely plausible in that someone lore. has not heard of something we've done entire shows on. Oh, really? Yeah, clever. Happened. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. I haven't picked it up yet, but it does sound amazing. All right, who else got got a pick? We're gonna stay. We're gonna all do our books for for a while. Yeah. Uh, I'll go. Uh, This is one that I have not uh, recommended yet. And it's one that I kept going back and forth on because I, I don't even enjoy is the wrong word. It was an incredibly rich and good book. Gosh, that's when I tell you what it's about, that's all going to come back and bite me. Also a bad phrasing. Okay. Um, This book is called tender is the flesh. It is a, it is translated from the Spanish. Uh, okay. It is an Argentine author named Augustina Basterica. Mm-hmm. And it is in the vein of Brave New World or Fahrenheit 451. Uh, so it's a very dystopian future. But in this dystopian future, uh, cannibalism has been not only legalized, oh. but Did you say in the vein on purpose too then? No. I just can't well, help myself. Well. <laughs> So the main character of this book works in a meat processing plant, but they process, they process humans that are bred for meat, much like we do with pigs and cows and chickens and for bread. One of the, one of the phrases that, that he uses, uh, she, the author puts in the mouth of he, the main character very early in the book is there are words that hide the world. Mm. And so it's in, in large part, the early part of the book is an exploration of all of the euphemisms that human societies created in order to dehumanize people so that they can be exploited. And Again, I tried to be as va- I tried to use that language to be as vague as possible because while you're reading about a human processing plant, like it is such a short jump to all of the ways that we uh, things like collateral damage or even something like sweatshop, uh, mm-hmm. right? Words that hide the horrific realities of dehumanization that happen in our world. So yeah, I can't quit thinking about this book. It's haunting. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, it's just, it was, it was this, this is a strange thing to say, but it was awful in the best possible way. Like it was horrifying in exactly the way that it needed to be to meditate on the things that it's trying to say, you know, and I don't know, like mm-hmm. it's definitely obviously not going to be a book for everyone, but it is. Well, it, it sounds, it sounds like a story you can really sink your teeth into. Oh. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> got some meat to it yeah yeah i'd like to welcome you to matt's last episode of the fascinating podcast (laughs) thanks everyone it was fun no i I mean again this 281 episodes i was able to be a part of this book was awful uh but but like honestly in the best way like it it, like gut-wrenching right Gut wrenching, yeah. <laughs> oh, Matt, don't cannibalize this segment. I would, I would love. Honestly, I would love to sit down with this author and just give her a hand. Have- <laughs> oh, see how much y'all are enjoying this book. We are. We're eating it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, tender is the flesh. Well. Augustine at best Wow. Wow. Favorite books to talk about in 2020 for sure. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to put my my number one. I've already recommended it a couple times. I think, JR, you may have picked it one week as well. That's correct. Uh, which is A Lots Away by Darcy Little Badger. It is a book for it's targeted for young adults. But I think I think middle grade could probably read it and be fine. And I think uh, certainly as an adult, I enjoyed it a great deal. It's about a young woman who's Native American in a world where magic from every culture is actually real. So you have like vampires from Eastern Europe are real. There's like leprechauns and fairies and also all the native spiritual beliefs and magical practices are also real. So and she uh, there's a matrilineal thing where she can see spirits uh, not just of people, but of animals, particularly of animals, uh, going back to prehistoric times. So she can see trilobites and dogs, you know, like whatever, depending on the time and place she's at and all these things. And basically the, the basic plot of it is her cousin dies and his spirit appears to her and says, hey, it wasn't natural. And she and her family and her best friend set out to try and figure out what happened. And it's just uh, it is, I don't know the right way to say it. It's, it's really lightly written. Like it, you, you never stop and go like, Oh my gosh, now I need to listen to all this world building. It just seems normal. Everything seems really natural. And it's just, it's actually super fun. Like the characters are enjoyable and the plot moves along and you're never stopping to go like, okay, I guess I got to get through this thing. Uh, so I wonder yeah. if that's be- Matt, I wonder if that's because it does build on so many cultural stories and, and, and ideas that we know or we're familiar with, or they're kind of just like in our subconscious that like it yeah. just all rings true. Right. Cause she pulled from all of these. I think that could be part of it. I think the other thing is that, uh, even when she's introducing something new, like you don't know right away that there are things like vampires. Uh, but when she introduces it, there's a character need for that to be introduced. And it's, uh, it's really interesting the way it interacts with the other stuff. So, in fact, and we don't want to give spoilers, but one of my favorite defeats of a vampire in pop culture ever is in this book. Uh, It was so – it made perfect sense when she did it. I was like, oh, duh, of course that would work. Uh, But I had – it had not occurred to me at all. 
So yeah, it was, it was great. I really loved it. So if you're looking for a light, fun kind of fantasy read, A Lots Away by Darcy Little Badger is a lot of fun. I will say that the 10-year-old in my household has been devouring the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I finished A Lots Away, I gave it to her and she gave it back after a couple days and said, it was a little too weird. So, uh, maybe we'll try again when she's like 12. <laughs> yeah, it's targeting a little older than that. Right. Um, yeah. Not, but, I mean, not even in content, right? It's just. No, no, not in. Um, it's not inappropriate. There's not right. like gross violence or weird sex or anything like that. Yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. Part of what I think you're observing, Matt, is that there's so much world building from so many different places that's all just woven together. You're expected to sort of like figure it out. And in, in a way that the Harry Potter books, I, I mean, the the magical system and everything is that it is a lot more simple and linear. You right. Know? Right. Uh, so, yeah. 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 So it's, it's a fun book. Kathy, what uh, what have you been reading this year? Anything uh, good? Yeah. A couple of things. <laughs> but I, too, like Clay, have had a difficult time. Readers being block. able to. Yeah. Sitting and reading. So uh, the first book that I want to recommend is um, Transcendent Kingdom. Mm. Yeah, by Ya Jesse. And uh, it is beautiful and sad. Um, It's the kind of book that I want to, and I have for many evenings, just light a candle and kind of cozy up and also have a box of Kleenex. there's just something really heartbreaking about uh, the main character who Gifty, I think, unless it's Gifty, Gifty, a six-year PhD candidate, and you find out um, her family has immigrated to the United States, and they've experienced some terrible hardship and her pathway, her career pathway was determined by one of the tragedies and how she's trying to figure out why uh, her brother died the way he did is kind of her life's goal. And then there's the mother daughter relationship and mental health. And it's just really quite beautiful. Um, I've heard some, of my other fellow book readers talk about how this really captures uh, the the Ghanaian immigrant experience. Mm. And what I loved about reading the book is that I am obviously not Ghanaian. Um, Ghanaian medicine. Sorry, everyone. I'm not feeling well. I'm on medication. Um <clears throat> I'm like, wait, that word doesn't sound right in my own head, but nothing sounds right in my head right now. Anyway, um, but there's something about the the generational divide and gap in an immigrant family that will never be bridged. And some of the heartache that she describes and maybe the regret of the mother in her travels to the U.S. And I I always keep thinking back to my relationship with my parents and and even how we relate to one another now and the choices my sister and I have made based off of that immigrant experience. And I, so I'm reading Transcendent Kingdom and thinking, oh, you know, I, I think I still have some work to do in thinking through why we've picked the, the lives we've 
ended up in and how that relates to the choices our parents made and the lessons that they taught us in immigration. So anyway, it's a beautiful read. <sighs> Pick it up. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Kathy. All right, Clay, what's your number two? Well, I pretty quickly came to the most recent Cormoran Strike book, Troubled Blood. I can't remember if I talked about it on the show or not, or if I just talked about it. I think but, you uh, mentioned it last week. Like, you just mentioned it. Wait, yeah, it, ju- it just – it didn't come out too long ago. It's been a few weeks. But, yeah, I totally got lost in the story. It was super beefy. I loved it. I I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the world. I enjoyed the mysteries. Um, so, so not too much to say, just um, – it's a great series for me. It's a great character and characters to explore. And it's one of those rare books that I turn down the the speed of my uh, narration on so that I can really just kind of hang out there for a long time. So Troubled Blood by Robert Galbraith. Awesome. Uh, I've already talked about Mexican Gothic and The Only Good Indians, which are two books I keep recommending over and over and over again. Uh, so instead, I'm going to go with a magical boarding school book, uh, a la Harry Potter, but uh, it's called A Deadly Education. It's going to be one of two, and the second one comes out next year. So it it, it opens in the main character's junior year. Uh, it was funny. It was surprising the sort of magical world that was created and why a boarding school is necessary and all of that was really, I thought, pretty clever. And yeah, I, it's a book I'm already thinking about reading again because I had so much fun reading through it. And uh, I cannot wait for the, the second book to come out. So A Deadly Education, Naomi Novik is the author there. And uh, yeah, super fun. If you're if you were into Harry Potter or any of that, give, give this one a try. Awesome. Uh, that one sounds really good. It's on my my to read list. Uh, Mexican Gothic, by the way, you know, Zoe was targeting doing reading 300 books this year. Yes. Uh, I think she's at I don't know what she's at now, but a few days ago she was at 290. So she's like, I'm going to make Oof. it. Um, Mexican Gothic is still her number one this year. Last time there, I talked to her. There are literally not enough good things I can say about that book. And I I can't quit thinking about it. I still think it was brilliant doing the Victorian haunted house as a meditation on colonialism mm-hmm. by setting it in Mexico. Like just absolutely brilliant it's awesome. and scary, super scary. So fun. Uh. Well, I have that book too. So it's also on my list. Um, my Matt, second- there are no wolves in Mexican. <laughs> if that's why you've been putting it off. <laughs> oh, good. Good to know. Um, my uh, my next book is actually for middle grade readers, which sounds surprising when you hear all the content. I did suggest it earlier this year. It's called A Game of Fox and Squirrels by Jen Reese. Uh, it's the story of two young girls who are sent to live with their aunt after an event in their in their home with their parents, which kind of slowly unravels to be clear that there was some sort of abuse thing going on. And the book... It's, it's very much like magical realism. There is definitely some magic going on, but you could read it another way and say maybe this girl is imagining things. Uh, but there's this sneaky fox spirit creature that wants access and seems really nice, but s- except for the times that it's not. And that that's when it hurts things, kills things. So it, And then there are the squirrels, which are actually kind, 
and loving and trying to be helpful, but aren't anywhere near as interesting as the fox. So you see where it, it kind of connects into this young girl trying to figure out what was going on in her own family and why she can't go home. Uh, so it's really, really beautifully done in a way that I, I wouldn't hesitate to give it to a, a middle grade kid at all. Uh, in fact, I think it brings up some really important conversations you could have with a kid. And it's just a delightful book. It's beautifully written. And uh, yeah, I was actually, now I know foxes are like wolves, uh, but I was actually pretty creeped out in one one section. So if your kid's easily frightened by uh, canine things, maybe this isn't for them. But, uh, but yeah, it's a great book, actually. A Game of Fox and Squirrels by Jen Reese. Cool. How's it Kathy? going, Kathy? You got another? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, is it my turn? Just um, read off your med- medical label. That's fine. <laughs> uh, cast. The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. Oh. It is not light reading, but I think it's important reading. It's challenging. I don't necessarily agree with every conclusion that she draws, but I'm still thinking about it and kind of chewing on it to relate the, to the basic idea is that even in the West, we have a caste system. Yes. Is that yes, that is correct. And she does it by studying and comparing and looking at the caste system in India and mm. Nazi Germany. Oh yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, she also, I think the part that, uh, I've been in a discussion with a, a board that I serve on, and we've been reading this together. Um, she uh, writes about how the Nazis studied the racial systems in America mm. to plan out their um, their outcasting of Jews. Yikes. Yeah. And when I read that, I was like, wait, what? And they, the Nazis, thought that the U.S. had gone too far. Oh gosh. So, so think about that one. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's beautifully written. Her, um, her first book, the warmth of other sons, uh, is just, uh, an amazing book. So if you've got lots of time, pick up that one, but cast also, um, is just really well done. So that's my second pick. Awesome. Thanks, Kathy. Mm -hmm. Well, Clay, did you, did you get the three books this year? You know, I I didn't uh, okay. come up with a third one that I feel like is clearly on this list. So I'm just going to say I haven't read it yet. It's in my library. But the, the new Obama book, A Promised Land, uh, in, in, intrigues me. It's certainly going to be one that I will read maybe by the end of the year. But, uh, you know, I thought Michelle's book was great, Obama. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading A Promised Land. So uh, has anybody else read, read it yet? No. Mm-mm. Yeah, so you know, it's interesting how much uh, how much of being an author is a part of Obama's story. Hmm. You really, you know, learn a lot more about that through Michelle's book becoming. Um, but but yeah, like he he got this. Uh, you know, as a young politician, he got this contract. You know, and it's so interesting to think of like Obama, the young politician and community organizer, up and coming, and he's got this deadline from this publisher and he's supposed to figure out how to get his pages <laughs> done and his chapters written and uh it's just really interesting when you when you step away from you know all of the celebrity of it all and think about 
you know, a woman describing this author life of her husband. It was pretty neat. So, yeah, he certainly knows what it takes to write a book, and I'm sure this one has been put together at a high level. So, um, hopefully, you know, I, I love White House memoirs. I've, I've, I've read every single one that I ever could get my hands on. Um, you know, I don't know if there's going to be like a Trump coloring book or something, but, um, <laughs> you know, at least in this case, I love to hear about the life of the White House. Uh, yeah. Did you not hear the announcement about that? No. Yeah, it comes with a pack of white crayons, and that's all you're allowed to use. (laughs) Or Sharpies. (laughs) There's actually a bunch. I mean, you'll read all the, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Oh, boy. From Watergate has written, what, two books about the Trump White House already? Yeah, Woodward. Woodward. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, typically, you know, presidents can take time to reflect on their presidency and all the work they did and all of the, you know, leaders they interacted with and all the crises they managed. I, I guess if if you don't have if you didn't do any actual work or any good, then you oh, might not have a book to write. Clay, President Trump has much to say about his accomplishments and the <laughs> people that he met who did write by him. So I'm sure there will be a book for you That's to read. Very, There's we'll like two of for... those left, right, Matt? <laughs> yeah, we we're gonna be get nice. back for you for Christmas next year, Clay. Why are we so <laughs> mean? We should I'm, be nice. I'm, I'm trying. Speak for yourself, trying Kathy. I have no reputation here, to maintain. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I uh, I'm good with that being my list. Uh, who's up next? Awesome. Uh, I I have to. Um, so Charles W. Kettering, who invented the catalytic converter, mm-hmm. and is a proud son of Dayton, Ohio, the gem of the Midwest, mm-hmm. uh, famously said, "A problem well defined is a problem half solved." Okay. And I think that for me personally, in this year. I have been coming to terms like at a deep uh, at a level that I think really rubs against my identity and my calling as a pastor and my understanding of myself as a Christian, someone who's born and raised evangelical and a a book that I think is really in a no holds barred way. Uh, defining the problem of evangelicalism is is our recent guest Kristen Cobes Dumay, mm. uh, her book Jesus and John Wayne. Yeah, it's a um, great book. You know, I think uh, I think her insistence that evangelicalism, as we know it and experience it right now, is not defined by the Bebbington Quadrilateral, as scholars would like it to be, but is defined by patriarchy and white supremacy. Um, and that, th- that those are features of evangelicalism, not bugs that occur despite our theological identity, but, but are the actual basis of our theological identity is something like, it was just one of those moments for me that it was like, yeah, I know that. Yeah. I've heard that, but it like crystallized it for me in a way that has helped me begin to imagine moving forward, um, in a, in a time where I've just felt really stuck. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. It really is. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter say that they were now talking, you know, we have Bevington's quadrilateral, which we talked about in the episode with Kristen. Uh, and he said, now he's talking about Dumais patriarchal patriarchogram or something (laughs) like that. That's a central part of the definition, which we also discussed. Yeah. Um, which she was trying, she tried to be so nice to me on that episode and say like, well, you, you can use Bevington's quadrilateral. 
Um, <laughs> but I noticed she's not, she does not say that on Twitter. So, and, and I mean, again, so her, nice. yeah, her, her, her whole book is an argument that we can't right? Right. Like, right. That, that's the whole point of the book is like, no, 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 no. Like to understand evangelicalism primarily as a theological movement is to misunderstand evangelicalism. I will say I had more emotions reading that book than any other book I've read this year, for sure. Is that because you have not read Tender is the Flesh? Uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to dig into that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my last choice is another fantasy book. I see that they are all fantasy books. Uh, this one's called The Bone Shard Daughter by Andrea Stewart. Bone Shard Daughter is a, uh epic fantasy set in a, a third world, meaning uh, not our Earth. Uh, so like Lord of the Rings, right? Well, I guess Lord of the Rings is technically our Earth. In another fantasy world somewhere. Uh, it's an Asian-based uh, fantasy, so the, the, the cultures have more of an Asian feel than like a medieval European feel. Uh, and the magic is really interesting, and a lot of the book is about empire. There's an empire that's maybe on the verge of collapse, and you kind of follow different characters in the midst of it as they're trying to figure out their piece in that story. It's beautifully done, really fun. Uh, another pretty light read that's pretty easy to get through and just a lot of fun. So that's Bone Shard Daughter by Andrea Stewart. And she's written the second one, uh, which comes out, I think it might come out next year. So yeah, excited about that too. Okay, so it's my turn. Yes. I'm awake. Hi, um, Kathy. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Feeling a little loopy. Uh, Minor Feelings, an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. Mm. And uh, this is not light. <laughs> a series of essays she's written about um, being the daughter of Korean immigrants. And so, as you can imagine, I can totally relate. <laughs> <laughs> so I really enjoyed this and um, had so many other Asian American women respond to this book in a very powerful way. Um, it We don't have to translate anything, right? So it's it's kind of our lived experience, but it's validated by the book. And so it was, and it's also beautiful. So awesome. that's my book. That's my book. Sounds great. Well, so that's a lot of books. If you've been having trouble reading or you're looking for more <laughs> books to read, this is an impressive list for you to work off of. Uh, we know a lot of you have been watching a lot of TV, and we've been watching a good amount of TV ourselves. So this might be a little easier for us to pick some. So, uh, JR, I, I, I know you always have plenty of TV for us. So you got a good pick for us? <laughs> I trimmed it down. Yeah. Uh, even though only a few episodes aired in 2020, I have to go with the final season of The Good Place. Um, just, I loved it. I love that whole show. I loved what it had to say about humanity. I loved what it had to say about how we change and the possibility of change. Again, obviously that's something I'm putting a lot of hope in, uh, for our future. And so, yeah, just, it, I thought it was a beautiful show and, um, good place. Gotta love it. Awesome. Kathy, what about you? Um, I'm going to have to go with Shit's Creek. Nice. Uh, ew. No. <laughs> ew. Ew. And then it's funny because Peter mentioned this last night. He just realized uh, 
the father-son relationship on the show is actually a father-son relationship in real life. I don't, Uh. (laughs) I was like, wait, you know more about this whole area than I do. How is it that you just figured this out? And then um, there's also a real life daughter who is on the show. But um, I I have lots of problems with it, but I also really enjoyed it because it was kind of the light TV that I needed in 2020. It was really sweet, mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and appropriately over the top when it right. needed to be. So Right. Yes. How about you? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with we'll we'll do another sweet one. Ted Lasso, if you haven't seen it on Apple Plus, yeah. is such it is such a delight in the true list. sense of the word. You've got a character who just always wants to do the right thing, always wants to care for people, but isn't like uh isn't unrealistic either. He's someone that you look at and you go like, okay, that could be a real person. Uh, but he keeps doing the right thing. And even when people are being cruel to each other, which is common on a comedy, right? Um, Ted Lasso and the people affected by him are always coming in to say like, how do we make this better? Uh, so it's just really fun. It's about a, a an American football coach, kind of minor, like college college coach, right? Uh, he gets hired through a series of events to come over and coach professional soccer in the UK, which he knows nothing about. Uh, so there's a lot of, it's very funny, uh, but also it's really kind hearted and, uh, uplifting also. So Ted Lasso, lots of fun. Definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I finally have Apple TV. Yeah. Check it out. Oh, you guys will like it. Clay. It's fun. Okay. Challenge accepted. I, I actually have a lot of thoughts on this category, kind of like uh, too many, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. But um, like, well, just in general, you know, there were a couple of food shows I've talked about throughout the year. I do think Somebody Feed Phil is a great, especially the way they've moved more towards like the social justice and inclusion aspect. But, um, but yeah, my my actual list, I guess, if I have to narrow it down, starts with Kingdom season two, which. I had to look it up because I couldn't believe it actually came out in 2020. Yeah, oh. 2020 was so long ago. Right. It really so, was. Um, obviously, we're all fans of Kingdom, and the second season did not disappoint. I still uh, I still think about the Lord on scenes, and, and no spoilers, but just that character throughout the show is great. And um, I don't know. It's just... It's just a really good show. So yeah, that's a lot of. That was twenty twenty. I know. I was. I was looking <sighs> back. Now maybe it came out at the end of twenty nineteen, and I watched it in early twenty twenty. I actually went through my Netflix viewing history last night, which was a whole adventure. You know, <laughs> Jen's been on K drama year, and uh, we laugh yes! times the different things that we watch. It's just funny to go back uh, through your 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 viewing history, but. Yeah, Kingdom is a fo- you know it's a follow up to the to the breakout show. It, it sets uh, basically a zombie story back centuries ago in Korea, and uh, oh, it's just so beautiful. It's so well shot and it's so amazingly performed. I don't I don't know that I would say season two was as good as season one, but I didn't feel a letdown at all. And it's definitely a strong continuation. Yeah, it's super fun. 
Uh, my next pick, I'll I'll stick around in the horror genre. I loved Kingdom Season 2. That was that was on my list. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and go with Lovecraft Country. Uh, not a lot new to say about it. We did a whole episode with... <laughs> we did like uh, two episodes. <laughs> with Irene Cho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, not a perfect show, but it, it did so many things so well. And uh, did a great job, much like Kingdom Season 2, of kind of asking that question that's almost become cliche at this point, like who are the real monsters? Um, but doing it through the lens of race in America. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was a really fun show. Oh, me. Yeah, sure. Kathy, okay. what do you got? <laughs> uh, unorthodox. Mm. Yes. You mentioned that was one that before. On? That's about yeah. the, Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish, Jewish right? community. Yeah. Yes, was that? I don't know if it was on Netflix. I think it was on Netflix. Um, and it was based off of a book, an autobiography, and um, so you know, patriarchy—it's everywhere. Shocking <laughs> surprise. It's only where there are men, and um, and also in religion shocking <laughs> so yeah so there was that but it's beautifully shot and um yeah awesome That's my second pick great uh i'm gonna say what we do in the shadows which is a super fun goofy <laughs> half hour comedy about dumb vampires who've lived for centuries but never learned any lessons who uh live in modern day New York, right? New York. Well, right? Staten Island. Staten Island. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they've moved from the old country and they haven't done anything to try and become a part of the culture here in the decades they've lived here. Uh, and they are, uh, they're idiots. It's so funny. <laughs> they're so dumb. Uh, but yeah, it's just delightful. I watch it with my older kids. Uh, Krista doesn't watch it and Micah doesn't watch it, but the two teenagers watch it with me. Uh, and we just have a good time. It can be a little crass sometimes, but mostly it's just funny. Oh man, that's sh- and season two was so good. It really was. There were a lot of great moments in it. I am behind. I don't know why it's been sitting. I guess it's because Jen's not interested in watching it. Really. Oh yeah. I just, I just need to do it. Yeah, it's I'm, fun, Clay. Amanda tolerates it for me. Uh, she didn't love the the original mockumentary, uh, where whereas I do, and yeah. uh, she watches it and like gives some like half hearted pity laughs here and there while I'm like. <laughs> rolling around on the ground, clutching my sides. It's really funny. <laughs> All right, Clay, I'm excited about this next pick because we've still only, only watched the first episode so far. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Well, yeah, this is um, this is a late arrival on the list. And, you know, there were a lot of good, I guess, horror shows of the year. And, you know, you could even call The Boys something like that. Haunting at Bly Manor was, was in that boat. Lock and Key came out. That's going to get a second season. There are a lot of, you know, darker things that I enjoy. But the one that makes my list for sure is Sweet Home. <laughs> the one with the worst name. <laughs> the worst title. Oh, yeah. The, oh, the yeah. only thing bad about this show is the title. <laughs> Clay sent us um, all a note saying, oh, Sweet Home, you'll love it. I went and watched the trailer. I was like, yeah. what is this? This is not Sweet Home. <laughs> well, as, as okay, I'm not going to spoil anything. So, you know, everything will come to, to have meaning in time, I guess you would say. But this story took us by surprise. Now, as I said, Jen is on a, like, K-drama stream, right? So 
I might watch some of the shows. I might miss them entirely. But like Netflix is constantly in my algorithm telling us about the next great Korean thing. And um, we watched this trailer and I was like, that is not your typical rom-com. And um, sure enough, it is so bonkers. I described it, I think, as like the raid meets old boy meets monster homages all within like a dark superhero universe. It's 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 bonkers. It's a story that's contained in a large apartment building. Um, it's definitely set in the apocalypse, which you can see immediately. It's beautifully shot. And at the same time, they do stuff with the effects. And I can't tell if it's low budget and bad at times or if it's just like that's like there are so many references to so many things. And and you can just pick them up all along the way. Uh, but you will get your fill. You know, if you love George Romero, you will get the humans, you know, coming at each other in the midst of chaos. If you love monsters... They are so imaginative and creative. So it's like, it's yeah, the creature design universe. even in the first episode is very yeah. creepy and very cool. It, it just gets better and better. And then Jr., I suspect that when you finish this show, it will be not only one of your favorites. I, I see this being one that you end up writing about for Think Christian. So challenge um, accepted. I, I just we we couldn't believe like we put it on on a, a weekend and we we just couldn't stop watching the episodes. So it's obviously intense. Uh, it's it's got a lot of levity. So it's not like you know in the traditional sense of horror you can't look away, but it's definitely got some gruesome stuff. Definitely. Oh, good. Okay, that's sweet home. <laughs> awesome. Kathy, All what, right. Uh, did you? Have a third one, Kathy? Oh, yeah, I do. It's okay not to be okay. Another K-drama. Um, yeah, that's so that's the one. Out of out of all of them, that's your uh, top one? Uh, well, top one that I... That is came, good. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Wow, I guess we should have had a rule about not judging each other's picks, Clay. <laughs> no, yeah. because I thought about, like, what would be the best K-drama? So um, I was very curious to hear. What would you say? How many kids? Well, there were so many good ones. Again, I didn't watch nearly as much as Jen, but um, I mean, Crash Landing into You was the gateway, but then Eda One Class, Hyena. It's okay not to be okay was definitely good. Crash Landing into There's nothing to compare to that, but I did like It's Okay Not to Be Okay One because it handles mental illness, which I was like, Mm -hmm. wait, what? My people are going to talk about this and not just talk Mm, about it once, but it's, it's, the key part to the series. And then, you know, the main protagonist, she's a little odd. (laughs) And I love that. Mm -hmm. She also looks really, really hungry all the time. She's just so thin, but I also love the set design and the clothing. It's just kind of uh, high Korean fashion. And she's just going to go out for, you know, to eat street food or something and she's just <laughs> over the top. So there's something about that that I love and this kind of healing in um, understanding and fully understanding your past and your stories and then dealing with the dealing with trauma, which I was not expecting in a key drama. So I loved it. Cool. Awesome. Chair, what's your uh, third pick? 
Clay, what's your third pick? <laughs> Does JR go away? Uh, no, I, I, a lot of these, I, I, you know, I was going to throw out Ted Lasso. That's one I wrote on for Think Christian. Yeah, I saw it on your pick. list. That's why I put it on mine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Clay's, Clay's third pick is one that I'm, I have an article coming out here in the next couple weeks mm-hmm. about um, Shit's Creek, right? So um, after all of you took all of the good ones, right. um, I decided I would go with one that I thought was a really good adaptation from this year. It was on HBO Max, um, and that was uh, Doom Patrol Season 2. Oh. Um, which is Doom Patrol. Uh, I've talked about it. I, we talked about it last season. I, uh, Matt, I think you and I both really loved Season 1. Yeah. And I thought Season 2 was great. It is one of the shows whose production got cut short by the pandemic, literally by one episode. Oh, no. Uh, oh. So... They basically, uh, you can feel that in the finale, they shoved two episodes worth of uh, conclusion into one, left it on a like massive, massive, massive cliffhanger. Uh, and fortunately, it did get renewed on HBO Max because they were one of the ones that were on DC Universe when it got folded into HBO Max, much like the Harley Quinn cartoon did. So both of those got season uh, new season pickups at season two for Harley Quinn and season three for Doom Patrol. But it continues to be a very weird, technically superhero show in that the main characters all have uh, more than average abilities. But they're also more like a dysfunctional family. And uh, Matt, did you ever watch season two? I didn't. I haven't watched season two yet oh, at man. all. It's it's terrific. So uh, again, another show that I just would laugh so hard every time I watched it. And this is one that Amanda actually enjoyed quite a bit more than what we do in the shadows. So she would also she also loves it a lot. But it is so weird. <laughs> well, all right. It's on my occasionally. I have to get to it somehow list. <laughs> it's a very specific list. Yep. 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 Uh, I, so my last pick is Teenage Bounty Hunters, which is just, it's one of those, you know, how sometimes <laughs> you need a show that you're like, I'm, uh, there's, there's no redeeming value to it. I'm just going to enjoy myself. It's the story of two girls who are students at a cri- private Christian high school. Uh, they're twins. They're twins, and uh, they are—they're having a hard time. That outwardly they are definitely the good Christian girls, but inwardly they are really wrestling with that. They—they uh, they borrow their dad's truck without telling him, accidentally wreck it, and Ooh. are suddenly in need of money. And they fall into purely by happenstance. They discover that they're really good at bringing in bounties for runaway criminals. Uh, and kind of force their way in. So they're keeping this secret life that they're actually teenage bounty hunters from literally everyone except for one dude who's helping them. Uh, another bounty hunter. Another bounty hunter, which they kind of force him uh, into helping them. Uh, so it's sweet and it's funny. Like I laughed out loud many times. Uh, it has a really frank discussion of sex in kind of evangelical teen circles in a, a really interesting way. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, I don't feel like the end of the season was as strong as the beginning, but I enjoyed it all the way through and I had a good time. Yeah, it's I, I second everything you said. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So and the actresses are so fun, like. Every time I was like, okay, 
as what else have these kids been in? So, I mean, they're probably in their mid twenties, but you know, they're playing 17 year olds. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's All right, Clay, point. round us out. I'm sure most of our listeners are noticing a gaping omission. Uh, yeah. And, uh, probably someone's thinking tiger King. No, <laughs> no. The last dance. No, 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 no. What, <laughs> What we have to talk about here is what provided, and we can't spoil anything, but the single best television moment of 2020 is not in doubt, and it comes from The Mandalorian. So the season just wrapped on Disney+. <gasps> Plus. Yes. That, uh, I don't, is that the show about the guy who owns the orange uh, orchard? It's mm-hmm. about a bounty hunter in some, oh, like, a like, teenager? In, like, a space universe <laughs> thing. <laughs> Uh, this show is so good. I actually understand the original Star Wars movies now because what? of the you haven't even seen them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I I can't express the Clay better the, better or worse than Star Trek. What what part of Star Trek? I don't know the TV shows. Oh, better. Oh wow, Clay! The original series. Yeah, I don't know. There's like eight TV shows to pick from. I mean, the series are like fine. They created the thing. But the thing I love about Star Trek more is the movies. With The Mandalorian, though, um, you know, it's it's like in addition to all of the art and storytelling and baby Yoda-ness, it's just the kind of thing where I get to watch Jen watch it. And it's like the joy that she gets and the joy that I get from watching her there's like really nothing that's better than watching Baby Yoda with Jen, even that's though fun. that's you know a misnomer. Yeah, so I, go ahead, whoever else would like to talk about the Mandalorian. I was, I was gonna say Micah and I watch it together every Friday, usually Friday, sometimes Saturday when it comes out. And uh it's been a fun little bonding time that we have a new show to watch together. Usually by the time I discover a show she's interested in, she's watched like five seasons. So it's, yeah. it's good to find one that we can watch it every week together. I will say that uh, Amanda and I deeply enjoyed the last 10 minutes of the season finale. But I think while I enjoyed it, I don't think it bodes well for the future of Star Wars in the hands of Disney. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But you like the show. Oh, yeah. And, I, and again, I enjoy uh, because it expresses if you have not seen it by now, I'm going to say things that might constitute a spoiler. So it's your own fault. Um, it's your own fault. Well, if, I mean, uh, think about it. Like, what day yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah. we'll be um, two weeks in or something by the time yeah. this Correct. comes out. That's what I'm saying. And I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say things around it. But again, um, it, it has become clear that Disney, when they have a chance to step out and take a risk, uh, instead, keep falling back on tying things to the Skywalker saga. Yeah. And I think that goes even to including Boba Fett as such a like I thought like one one little Boba Fett cameo where if you didn't even know it was him, you didn't know that was super cool. One episode where Boba Fett gets his armor back. I was like. Okay, like, all right, like, we got to see him fight. That's cool. Then he became, like, a main character on the season, and I was like, hmm. Now he's getting his own show. Okay, whatever. Uh, And then again, the last 10 minutes, I was like, okay, this, like, this franchise, the whole point of it was, like, it is a different thing, and it is not the other thing. 
Well, I disagree with that. That that obviously was not the whole point of it, right? Because one of the big questions has been, when is this happening, right? Yes. No, I that mean, was not a big question. Yeah, Everyone knew when it was happening. No, it wasn't. What I knew when it was happening. Well, given that <laughs> we know exactly when it was happening, I don't know how you could remove it from the Skywalker saga. Because it's a galaxy. <laughs> they have to travel <laughs> by hyperspace. Like Do you know nothing about the Force? No, again, like I get it. I get it. I get it. I am saying that the the storytellers like did so much work in the first season to make this separate from and only like casually adjacent to I the Skywalker think, saga. I think there's enough here for us to do a spoiler filled extra on this TV show. Okay, great. That's fine. I'm happy to do that. I'm just saying, like, again, in the moment, did I enjoy it? Yes, it was super fun. It, it was, was fun. great. Um, it did feel a little ham-fisted in a couple of ways that I'm happy to talk about in the episode. You're ham-fisted. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't. you opened up this critiquing other people's choices. <laughs> I'm not even critiquing the Kathy. choice. I, I, I don't <laughs> dispute Clay's claim that this was the biggest TV moment of 2020. Um, I am saying that while I enjoyed it very much in the moment, <laughs> it does not bode well for the future of the 857 new Star Wars properties that Disney is launching in the next five years. <laughs> You're making it sound like they're that. doing this just for money, Jr. <laughs> Shame. No, on and and, you. and and again, I think Matt, you and I were talking about um, all of the all of the uh, crybaby fanboys that that hated the Last Jedi, talking about how this like fixed right. Luke Skywalker right. for them, right? right? And I think that is like the grossest kind of fan service. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so I don't know. Like, I don't think it's the commodification well. of creative things. I, I, sure. I, I'm just saying it's the I owners is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't think it bodes well for the future of Star Wars. I guess we'll see because we're going to have will. plenty of opportunities to see. In 875 the years to come. new opportunities. That's yes. Right. And we will be here for each one of them. <laughs> All right. Put your money where your mouth is and give us a good movie. Yeah. Extraordinary. Great movie. So fun. Uh, horror comedy. Emphasis on the comedy. Mm. So weird. So absurd. I laughed so many times during this movie. I watched it like three times. What? Uh, it's great and hilarious. Okay. So this is another one that I've had on the list. Jen's just not interested. So I'm going to just need to watch it. Matt, you watched it. I watched it. It was funny. I I think Krista might have watched part of it even because I told her it was Irish and she can't help herself. If I say something's Irish, she will watch it. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy, did you see this one? No. It it's is fun. so weird and silly. And so hilarious. very weird. Okay, perfect. <laughs> it's very perfect. weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, my, I, I'm going to say my number one is is Hamilton. I had never seen the play. I'd heard the music I mean, eight bazillion times in my house since years <laughs> ago. Like, I know every word of it, uh, but I'd never seen it. And it was uh, so you could only watch it on Disney Plus, right? It wasn't in the in the theater. Uh, but it was uh, it was really fun to actually see it and see the staging. And there were some big differences in how I pictured it and how it actually played on stage, including the ending. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was fun. 
the ending is where you find out that Aaron Burr is his father, right? And he loses yeah. his hand in the no, duel. Yeah, there's a whole scene with oh, Aaron Burr. Okay. Um, ye father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, Kathy, what do you got? Uh, I don't think it's a great film, but it's one of the few that we saw in 2020. Now, I'm trying to remember what was out in January yeah, and February, right? But we saw Tenet. It was, we saw it in the theater uh, with like three other people. And now we are watching it. We watched it last night together as a family, the five of us, and we would have to stop it because Elias apparently understands what's going on. I am completely lost. I, okay. Apparently, there's all these like Tenet explained, and I was like, what? It, Okay. Like, I didn't think it. it was confusing either. I haven't seen it either. I was very confused. I was very confused. Um, just the time and then you... Anyway. But we've enjoyed it. We watched it last night. Laughed. Probably inappropriately. Um, yeah. <laughs> Who's next? It's a comedy? It, <laughs> it is in our house. <laughs> The the honest trailer for Tenant just dropped a couple days ago as of time of recording, and they did a really good job of like mercilessly skewering it. <laughs> it's awesome. Mm. Clay, what you got? We skipped over Cobra Kai, but that's okay. Um, didn't uh, we did not skip over it? We made our lists, and it didn't make your list. Yeah, so. I've got like a little side. I did like a rough draft. Just count it as okay. a movie, Clay. It's fine. No. Okay. Again, I was trying to think the same thing, Kathy. I was like, what was the last the last movie I think I saw in the theater might have been The Invisible Man. I, I can't even remember like what it was. I but I know that one of my picks for sure. Um well, I don't know when this movie came out. It might have been right at the end of twenty nineteen, but I'm gonna go with nineteen seventeen. Is that it came on out the- in nineteen seventeen? Oh, yep. man, I was way off. Uh, that is one of those clay that was released uh, around Christmas for Oscar contention, but most folks saw it in 2020. Well, I mean, should I claim it? Yeah, claim it. Yeah, yes. go for it. Claim claim it. it. It's our show. You can do what you want. Yeah, that's right. 1917 was a really bad year, but a really good movie. So <laughs> that is my review. And... Uh, we talked about it on the show. Like you, you just, yeah. The the way it is filmed, it's famously known for these super long takes and these amazing tracking shots. Um, and and weirdly, I mean, for one, it's a war film that is uh, unique and that makes me want to watch it. And not only that, it's rewatchable. Mm. Um, yes. In a, in a in a very surprising way. Um, so Sam Raimi, you know, gets a lot of credit. He brings his grandfather's um, lore and stories to the screen all these years later. Sam Mendes. I'm sorry, Sam Mendes. So <laughs> it would have been Sam, a very Sam different. Sam Raimi is also doing a 1917. <laughs> so it's be a little different. Oh, very man. different. Um, yeah. So Sam Mendes. But yeah, 1917. That's that's my first pick. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, my next one is a horror film that hit Netflix and has been getting rave reviews. It's called His House. Oh, I wonder if any you of you that. seen this. No, no, no. I saw the trailers and I was like, I don't know if I can do that one. So this is a haunted house film that is a commentary on the immigrant experience in London. Uh, the woman who plays Ruby in Lovecraft Country is the wife, and then there's a husband. They are Nigerian immigrants, and they are basically forced to live in, like, the, the refugee housing that they're provided, right, is a haunted house. 
And uh, man, it was it was really good. I personally felt like the ending didn't completely come together thematically, but the scares were terrific. The acting was amazing. Uh, and again, just the <laughs> the reality of what refugees experience is brutal. Um, so again, one of those where there are actual ghosts in the film and maybe those aren't the things that are the most scary. Mm. So yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, I think for my second one, probably my favorite, I, my favorite movie experience this year was going to see the new mutants with my daughter, Allie at the drive-in in Santa Barbara. Super fun. I haven't been to the drive-in in forever. Uh, we've been shut down since almost the beginning of the year in our area. So no movies uh, most of the year. So we just had a really great time going and seeing new mutants together. The movie is fun. It was good. It's definitely one of the best mutant movies. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, top, top. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Top eight. Mutant it's a film low for sure. bar. Yeah. <laughs> but it was fun. I was like, I'd be happy to see these characters showing up and hanging out with Spider-Man or something. Um and I loved the comic when I was a kid, so I was pretty I was pretty worried I was going to dislike it, especially with how long it was supposedly coming out, and they were probably doing reshoots, and then they weren't, and all this stuff. Anyway, it was super fun. I had a good time. So if there's a way to watch it, uh, y- you should. It's a good time. It's on video on demand now, I believe. There you go. So. Yeah, go check it out. You New should. Mutants. Kathy. Oh, me. Okay. So I struggled again because I was like, wait, movies, 2020. To all the boys, P.S. I still love you. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> are you talking to us or are you? Yes. No. <laughs> Netflix. It was on Netflix. Oh. It was. Um, uh, and I was sad because it was just a movie. Um as opposed to the series that had aired, was it last year? It feels like a decade ago. To all the boys I've loved. Uh, that was just a movie. Was it? No. Yeah. Was it? See, I can't remember. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Yes, this is just a second film. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, this was the second film. It came out early 2020. One of the brighter moments before everything shut down. <laughs> And this was okay. So the first one was that she had every boy she fell in love with. She wrote a letter, but never yeah, sent it. Never sent it. But then her sister, meddling sent little oh. center oh. sister, sent the letters. Sisters. And then it was a, a matter of like, would they, would these boys get the letters, and what would they do? And wasn't wasn't the plot of this one like there was one of the five boys like never yes. like he just basically just like didn't mention that he had ever even like acknowledged that he had gotten it or anything. He right. just kind of and then, dropped out and then kind of appears. And then it's the whole like, can you love two people at the same time? But you can when you're in high school and you imagine that real life <laughs> isn't really real life. And it just is so it's just it was a cute movie. It, it is really cute. Was. Brainless. You and Jen are simpatico. Yes. I mean, it. I never read the books. So, you know, there's a book series. Maybe I should have picked up those books during <laughs> 2020. I might have been able to get through them. But, but when I think back, I can't remember. Like, I know I watched this and I know I really liked it. But I thought, 
was that 2020? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so watch Believe it. it or not. Watch it. No, it was, uh, the, both of those films were like very sweet teen rom-coms. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kathy, in that vein, I wanted to suggest a film for you called yeah. Spontaneous. Uh, oh, just came out. Okay. It is a teen. It is a teen rom com where in this one high school, just oh. this one high school, <laughs> and for no reason that anyone can understand, teens start spontaneously exploding. Here we go again with the, in that vein. <laughs> and so, literally, it's these two kids that are like falling in love, be, be basically because the boy is like, "Well, I could explode at any minute, so I'm going to tell the girl that I have a crush on her." You know, oh. like why not? Why not go for it? And so, <laughs> yeah, okay. so that's the, but, but like literally the film does such a good job of like get, engaging you to the point that you're like, okay, someone else is going to explode. When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And then you get so engrossed in the story that you forget. And then that's when someone explodes. You know? <laughs> Sounds like it's a blast. Uh, <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Uh, no, it, it, uh, it's not as good as, well, I don't know. Your mileage may vary, but I we thought it was it's a very tonally strange movie, as you can imagine, but it's largely a comedy. I thought it, it looked fun. Hilarious. I saw the trailer. Yeah, it is fun. It is also about teenagers exploding inexplicably. So <laughs> we should play we should play more better or worse, JR. Like okay. so like for this movie that no one's seen but you. Um better or worse than the babysitter sequel that we talked about in October. Ooh. Tough. Oh. Gosh, about that those. is tough. Back to the wall, probably going to say worse by like half a percent. Mm, okay. But I love that babysitter sequel. Yeah. Yes. That also is good. All right. I, okay. I welcome that game whenever you want to throw yeah, it. Yeah, that's a fun one. That's a fun one. <laughs> All right. Clay, what's your uh, second pick? Uh, well, I have, a, I have a question, by the way. Did anybody, has, has that movie Mank come out? <laughs> I've seen people yes. talking about it's it. So, yeah, Netflix. I think so. It is? Why is it like hidden from me? Because I've got it, I've been wanting to see it since the second I saw the trailer. So I, I, I don't know how. a special request to Netflix that they not advertise it to you. That's, that's a David Fincher <laughs> film, right? <laughs> I said, um, we do this thing where we talk about movies and then Clay finds it six <laughs> months later. And so I really wanted to do that. And they were like, yeah, we got you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so in, uh, speaking of that, Clay, what is your second pick? My second pick <laughs> is Palm Springs. Great movie. Would have been on okay. my list if I hadn't seen it on yours. Okay, yeah, and I know that JR would add it too. So basically, uh, I, I am so – the experience of not knowing what this was about was so much better, Have you know, going in blind on this one in particular that I don't want to – So spoil. like literally, did you just see it's got Andy Samberg play? Yeah, no, 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 no. I saw that it had Andy Samberg and the thumbnail was bouncing around my life for like three months. And one okay. random Friday night, I think I texted everybody and I was like, hey, Jen and I are looking for a movie. What should we watch? And Amanda Foresteros replied, Palm Springs, it's delightful, which I am not one to ignore an Amanda Foresteros recommendation, but we watched something else. Uh, there was a whole bunch of recommendations. Wow. And we didn't get to it. So then like... The first 10 minutes, it is the most intrigue. When you don't know what's going on, it is so intriguing. And when the when the penny kind of drops 20 minutes in, I was like, oh my goodness. There is a simple <laughs> there is a simple comparison anybody could have made to get me to put this movie on with Yeah, that's seconds. when Clay texted us and was like, why didn't anyone tell me about Palm Springs? <laughs> yeah. And we're all like, <laughs> why didn't you tell me that it was the podcast? Amanda told you to watch it. <sighs> so again, I don't know. I think I think it's unfair to 
to take that away from somebody. It stars Andy Samberg, uh, Kristen Milioti. She's done a lot of stage work. She's she's she the mom. Fam- she was famously the mom, yeah, in How I Met Your Mother. But she's uh, she's done a great episode of Black Mirror. Um, she's done a lot of different stuff, and and J.K. Simmons, who plays a great supporting role as well. So yeah, I it's really fun. You talk about rewatching. I was like literally trying to figure out how much money it costs because I just need to have this in my like library. Palm but Springs. it's on Hulu. So, so that's why I couldn't find it on Netflix. No. Um, Palm Springs. So good. Kathy, uh, have you and Peter watched Palm Springs yet? No. You know, he it, may have. It it would be a good watch. I, I think your kids would probably enjoy it. I watched it with like my teenagers be- first and they loved it. And then okay. I watched it with Krista later and she was pretty skeptical. I, I gave her the pitch you wanted, Clay. And because that's one of the pitch you would uh-huh. use as a uh-huh. favorite movie of hers. And then she was like, I don't know, maybe. And then she enjoyed it also. Okay. Well, so, so yeah, if you, if you end up, listener, watching this movie and coming back, uh, tell, tell me or us in a comment somewhere if you can, if you can guess what the pitch would have been. It's literally like a scene from the movie, though. Clay's like, what, what should I watch? And we're all like, Palm Springs. And then the next day, he's like, you guys, do you have an idea of something I could watch? <laughs> I will say that I knew the pitch. And you did good, Fred. You did good. Well, and no, 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 and and still watching the film with that in the back of my head, that opening sequence, like putting together what's going on there, was oh, was yeah, like yeah, yeah. enjoyable in a different way. Yeah, you know okay. What I, mean? I watched it the same way as you, Jr. I knew the basic idea of the movie when I started it. I can't wait to rewatch it for sure. And uh, yeah, thank you for not spoiling it in that way. It made it so much fun. <laughs> well, discover. if it makes you feel better, it was not on purpose. We just know you don't listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's false. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My last pick is a Guatemalan horror film called La Llorona. Now you're saying, wait, JR, isn't that one of those Conjuring verse films that you famously think are schlocky and dumb? And I would say, no, you are thinking of The Curse of La Llorona, which also came out this year, which is schlocky and dumb. This is a Guatemalan horror film called just called La Llorona. And uh, Matt, this will sound a little familiar to you. Mm. This is about a Guatemalan general who, mm-hmm. okay, have you ever had an experience where like you didn't know that there was some horrible atrocity in the world that is a real <laughs> thing? And so you're watching mm-hmm. a movie and they're like, yeah, did you know that there was a genocide in Guatemala that the U.S. backed? And I was like, no, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> You just sadly were like, keep going. I don't know if it's true or not, but it probably is. Yeah, and then I did my Wikipedia research. Well, in the film, it's just this was a guy who was in charge of a uh, a genocide against indigenous populations in Guatemala back in the 80s. um, And and the U.S. back to him uh, because, you know, we love meddling in in Central and South American politics. Um, And and he's he never has faced justice. And so the the first part of the film is him like basically being put on trial and then being exonerated by a corrupt legal system. And so then basically like hundreds and thousands of Guatemalans camp outside his house and are like protesting. And so he and his family are trapped inside with like a few remaining servants. And then there is one woman in there who is this La Llorona which is the cry it's it's a in in his in latin folklore she's a crying woman who is like an avatar of vengeance 
And so she basically slowly drives him insane. Oh, wow. Uh, it is. And, and again, it's, it's so it's, it's horror, but it's like a revenge story about getting revenge on a person who, because of how the system is set up, will never face justice. And so it's like it is it is a brutal movie, but it's really, really incredibly good uh, and just really, really, I don't know, like it was an awesome movie. And I was sad at the end of it, but whew, it was great. Mm. Wow. Sounds intense. La Llorona. I yes. might watch that. JR. And I got it. Oh, yes. Better or worse than <laughs> Uncle Frank? Whoo! Better. But again, I would not want to disparage either of those films. Uncle Frank almost made my list. And I, like I got to give one other tiny shout out. This doesn't count as a pick, so I'm not cheating to Spike <laughs> Lee's The Five Bloods. Incredible. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, that was actually on my short list. And I saw you had it on your short list, so I, I didn't mention it. But it, if we both were thinking of it, I think it's worthy of a mention. Yeah, that's right, Matt. It's not cheating. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> well, my third pick of which of three is a movie called Get Duped. Which uh, yes! JR and Amanda told me I should watch. In fact, they watched it with me, which was fun. Uh, and it it's Irish, right? Is it Irish or Scottish? I think it's Scottish. Scottish. It's set in Scotland, but well, most of the characters. The <laughs> yeah, that's right. Scotty. <laughs> um, basically, these like uh, these punk kids minus one who just actually wants to do it are sent to do this like kind of like Boy Scout hiking trip to help them like connect with nature and be better people uh, across the highlands. And so they send the boys out on their own and they're supposed to come out on the other side and meet their scout master. Uh, but it turns out that there's someone <laughs> hunting them on the highlands. And these kids are like, I do not want to exaggerate how stupid they are. Like, it's they're the Duke of Wellington. <laughs> very stupid. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a comedy. Uh, you're never like, oh, my gosh, I'm scared. The whole time you're like, oh, no, you poor idiots. Like uh, you want them to survive out of compassion for their stupidity. Um, but it's it's really funny. I had a good laugh. And there are I would say there were multiple kind of unexpected moments for me where it was like, OK, that is not like it was set up. But I did not see that coming. Um, yeah. So it's pretty OK. Fun. I, have, I have an important question then. Yeah. So I have to watch this movie. I mean, it is one of these recommendations I do not want to ignore. I don't know Jen's eagerness to watch it. She would. But, like, should I just do it and forge ahead? Or is this something I really need to pull her along for the ride? Uh, I I made Amanda watch it. And now it's one of her favorite movies. I would say Krista sat through the whole thing. She didn't get up and walk out ever. Um, (laughs) But she didn't love it. Like she gotcha. liked parts of it, but she didn't love it. If you were to describe it as train spotting meets blank, what would the blank be? As train spotting? Dude, where's my car? Train spotting meets <laughs> dude, where's my car? Awesome. Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> I was just trying to think of the dumbest film that also They are dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are really dumb. Uh, yeah, just wait till, yeah. wait till Jen says something like, those dumb kids, and you're like, I've got a movie for you. Let's watch this. You'll feel better. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Who's up? It's I think it's Kathy's last pick. Kathy. Yeah. Oh, Kathy. my last pick. Minari. Uh, it's okay. Um, first of all, yes. how did you get to watch this? Because I have been looking everywhere. Yeah. For it. Special. 
I'm special. I mean, we know that you're special and I'm super jealous, so we can just leave it at that if you want. Um, it was through so I'm on the board of Christians for Social Action. They were contacted um by an organization out in LA that's doing some promo. Um Asians in LA. Imagine that Asians are in LA. Uh, and they were able to um do special screening for the movie over the weekend. And um, I was asked if I wanted to watch the movie and then write something up for the organization for CSA. So I haven't written anything yet, but that's how I got to watch the movie. I don't think it, it's not being released until February of next year. That's correct. Yes. I'm very irritated. Yes. So yeah, but that is my pick. Um, uh, it's a film drama directed, written by Lee Isaac Chung, and I believe it is semi-autobiographical on how he grew up. And so the story is about this family of South Korean immigrants who um, try to make it in rural Arkansas, I think it is. And um, I love it because it is kind of modern day, but later in the immigration story of Korean Americans than uh, my family. And so it's 1980. So visually there's like some nods to my childhood. And then um, my boys were not that, we tried to encourage them to watch it, but they, you know, they're, they're right now more into things like Mandalorian and there has to be shooting and there's no shooting in this. So um, uh, it follows the story of this family. Um, Korean English, you have to be able to read subtitles and focus. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Kathy, tell us about, yeah. um, so this morning there was a little bit of a kerfuffle related to the uh, the Golden Globes. Oh, yeah, Which is the foreign, so it's Hollywood is run by foreign reporters, basically. Right. Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Right. So there's a hundred ish folks who decide what the Golden Globes are going to be. And one of the rules is for it to be considered for best picture, is it has to be 50% or more (laughs) in English, which Minari is not, correct? Right. So now, even though it's an American movie with an American director put out by an American company with American actors in it telling yes. an American story, it can <laughs> only be considered for foreign, foreign language, language picture. So t- tell us, what does that <laughs> say to you? It says that um, even an American immigrant story is not American enough. Yeah. Right? That... Um, I I saw that this morning and I laughed and it made me sad uh, because it goes back to the conversations I had during uh, November and election season around who can vote and who gets that right and who are Americans or who are citizens of the United States. Mm -hmm. And so here's this family. They are immigrants. Their children are Americans. (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and they are in America interacting with white Americans who speak only English. Um, and here's this family that speak and go back and forth between English and Korean. And so what it says is that our stories still are not considered, I don't know, mainstream American stories. American stories. Would it have radically altered the story if like a lot of movies at different times, even in little, like I watched Wonder Woman this week and when they speak German, they actually just speak English, but you know, they're speaking German because they like have a slight accent or something. Uh, Would it have radically altered the film if it had been done in English and you had just understood it was meant to be in Korean? I think so because the, the, the immigrant experience in this one, the Korean immigrant experience is that in the privacy of their own homes, they're speaking Korean. Yeah. And that is how they express and emote. And the words come to mind quickly. That's their heart language, their mother tongue, so to speak. And so even for the children, you see them kind of going back and forth between Korean and English. That's part of the experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, it would, I think it would dramatically change the, the story itself. And I do, I would say Corbin sat for a part of the movie with us. And then he asked like, well, how much of the movie do you understand? Do you need the subtitles? And to that, I said, actually, I don't, I don't because this is, this is American, Korean American, right? So this is, these are the conversations I remember hearing at home. And so it's not, so Kathy, it felt like your story. Yeah. It felt like being at home and growing up and hearing the Korean and then switching when you go out to interact with the world outside. It felt like, um, my grandmother never came to live with us, but it felt like that when my parents would hand me the phone and I would have to speak with one of my grandmothers and it costs a lot, you know, to make international phone calls mm-hmm. on a landline. So you're trying to speak Korean and it's not as fluent as your parents. And so, yes, it would have made the story dramatically different. And that I think that's part of it is that to say an immigrant story can only be told in English. Well, not for the first gen and for some second gen, third gen families, the language is still a critical part of the story. So that's why I loved it. Um, it's, it's three generations. And for me, I'm, I'm the child in this movie. I'm not the adults in this movie. So I loved it. Mm-hmm. Sounds amazing. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Ditto. Uh, Clay, your last pick. My last pick. Is Bill and Ted face the music. <laughs> this was my <laughs> favorite was theatrical experience of the fun. year. Uh, I did not get to see it in the theater, which would certainly be appropriate for the film that was. But, uh, man, I mean, who doesn't know what the Bill and Ted franchise, you know, was and is. And the way they brought it back. And obviously, uh, we on this show know all about the Keanu Sants, which has been a force. Um, Just clever, fun. I don't. I think because we watched it at home and didn't go to the theater, we just bought it, right? And it, and it was – it's one of those things that now is in my library, which, you know, is also bad news for movie theaters in the future because people are like, I could stay home, I could watch the movie, then I own it long term um, and so on. But 
what did you love about it, Jr.? You know, it was the thing that is fun about Bill and Ted is how completely guileless and adorable and loving they are, like how pure their friendship and their joy and their enthusiasm is for one another. Um, like the, 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 the marital counseling scene <laughs> where they show up for couples counseling oh, yeah. as both couples. <laughs> and they're like, I think you missed the point of couples counseling. And they're like, no, like both of the couples, like the couple of couples are here. And like, they just can't, it never even occurs to them that this is something they need to do separately. Like, I love that. And I think that's so much at the heart of this movie. Um, also, having a a great debate about which iteration of Bill and Ted is the best iteration in this film is so fun. Uh, my personal favorite are the uh, the ones that are hanging out in Dave Grohl's house. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It was just it was uh, it was sweet. It was optimistic. And frankly, I thought it was such a beautiful ending because this is the problem with films like the original Bill and Ted movies, right? They write a song that changes the world. Well, like that's fine. Like you can do that like in a novel or something like that where you can't hear it. And so sure, like whatever I can imagine a song so good, it changes the world. But when you actually show a band playing a song, like there is no way to do that. Right. Yeah. Like you just can't. And so the way they got around that in this film by making it like, well, it wasn't the song. It was the fact that everyone played the song together. Uh, I thought was just a beautiful thing. I thought revi reviving the we're going to go on a, you know, a tour of time and collect people together to join us in the present. Again, they put a fun spin on that mm -hmm. by having them be mm -hmm. all these famous musicians. Uh, I don't know. It was just it was so fun. Kid Cudi's cameo was so weird and delightful <laughs> <laughs> so yeah kathy y'all you, you all watched it as well right yes it was super fun <laughs> that's it right it was just fun it's like, just, I just fun yeah yeah uh, they're delightful the 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 two actors that played their daughters were fantastic um I'm I'm loving Samara weaving you know everything she's been in she's done great yeah. and very versatile so it was Matt. Did you see this one yet? I did. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, I enjoyed it. Yeah, see, fun, fun. That's the perfect word. It was fun. All right. Uh, I know that we're not doing a what's fascinating this week because the whole episode has been that. But I did want to offer up one game pick, which is a new game that we got this year. And Kathy, if we had been able to hang out in person this year, we definitely would have played it. But it's called The Quacks of Quedlinburg. <laughs> and I know Matt and Clay have both played it. Uh, Clay, you, in fact, requested this as your birthday game. Yeah, no doubt. Like, if we're hanging out and we're playing a game, it's going to be Quacks. It's so, so fun. Ah. So what do you love about it? It has all these different elements. It's really uh, easy to pick up uh, and play. But there's a lot of um, – there's just a lot of, like, simple strategy and there's there's still plenty of chance. It's tactile, so you get to like get your hand into some pieces. It's it's funny, so you get to just kind of like you know enjoy the humor of it. And um, it's really fast moving. Like it's just really well designed. The entire gameplay can be you know ninety minutes top, sixty minutes even. Um, but it, it includes shopping essentially each round. And yes! uh, my friends, you know, my friends laugh at how slow and deliberate I am and I'm trying to get better. But uh, 
I just really enjoy the process. The reason the game takes 90 minutes is because you played it with me. So uh, Now, Matt, I understand you've been banned from playing this by your daughter. Is that correct? Do no, I have no, that no, quite no. right? Uh, my 11-year-old daughter loves this game. Uh, and there's a specific... It's a. It's like a game. It's a. You keep pulling stuff out of a bag, right? And you are trying not to bust, like in blackjack. Like you can't get above a certain number. But there's different tiles that do different things, and there's a certain kind of tile that lets you see the future. And the way it works is you pull it, and you can look at the next two tiles or four tiles or whatever, and decide which one to play. I love this telling the future tile, so I always buy it in the rounds when you're allowed to buy tiles. And she told me I'm no longer allowed. <laughs> To purchase telling the future tiles. And I told her, I was like, don't hate the player. You know, I, this is just this is my style. She's like, but you always win. I was like, other people should do it then. But uh, yeah, she told me I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, yeah, Kathy, I, I, I anticipate the day when we're allowed to play this game uh, in person. Because uh, I, th- I think you, uh, y'all, you have, I assume you have not picked it up. Not yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so fun. So definitely, definitely probably we've gotten several new games this year and that's been the one that we've played the most Okay, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So quacks of, it is a dumb name. The art is not very inspiring. I probably never would have picked it up if some gamer friends that I love uh, had not recommended it and actually busted it out at a game night. They, they bought it when it was only available in German. So they literally <laughs> had like printouts of all of the different tiles and everything. Uh, to tell us what to do in English. Uh, but now it is available in the U.S. Uh, it's four-player. There is an expansion you can get that adds a fifth player. But, man, it, yeah, it's it's a good time, a good family game. Uh, again, you're going to be laughing a lot. Uh, maybe, depending on your spending habits, flipping some boards a la Monopoly. Uh, it kind of depends on your play style, I guess. Um, we've never encountered that yet. But, yeah, don't play with Matt. Other than that, you'll really enjoy the game. So. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay, folks, we are done. This is the final episode of 2020. Uh, any any of my illustrious co-hosts have any final thoughts about this year? Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 will be out by the time this podcast is, and it probably would be a top three choice for some of us for a movie, I'm guessing. Uh, Pixar's Soul is also releasing on Christmas Day. I don't know if any oh. of you saw that. Yeah, but so some good movies is- in our immediate future. Yeah, it is also supposedly just terrific. Reviews so, have been great for both those movies. Yeah. Awesome. Kathy, any any final thoughts about 2020? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Kathy to go to bed. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Clay, what about you? Okay, I'll take a crack at it. I'll say this. There have been bad years in the past. Mm. <laughs> we know this from history. Mm. Uh, I was actually thinking about 1968 the other day, and uh, that was like a terrible, terrible year in America. It started with the Vietnam War. There were assassinations throughout MLK, Bobby Kennedy, um, the DNC riots, like just bad, bad year. And so the the astronauts get sent up on Apollo 8 right around December, in December. And they're told, first of all, they have to like, you know, do the first mission to ever slingshot around the moon and make it back home to prove that it's possible to even do a lunar orbit. So they're up in space, it's Christmas Eve, and they're told that they're going to do a broadcast back to Earth and that they're going to have the largest audience that had ever listened to a human voice. So they said, what are we supposed to do? And NASA's like, just do something appropriate. 
<laughs> so no, <laughs> no, no pressure, Frank Borman and uh, Bill, uh, Jim Lovell and uh, Bill Anders. Um, so, so they they do this broadcast, and uh, I was writing something the other day that made me think about this. So, they sent some pictures back, and they, they read some. They read from the Book of Genesis, and they concluded with you know ho- holiday wishes and blessings to to everyone on the good earth. But they sent some photos back, and you all have seen one of the photos that this crew happened to send because Bill Anders took that picture on Christmas Eve, nineteen sixty-eight. It's called Earthrise. It's where they came up over the surface of the moon, and off in the distance, you can see the, the the beautiful Earth off in the distance. Right? It's one of the most famous photos in history. So I was just thinking that uh, we always say, like after a bad day, like, well, the sun will come up again tomorrow, or you know, <laughs> can't can't stay night forever, or whatever. But I was thinking about that phrase, Earth rise. Right. And how like if you're in a dark place, like the far side of the moon in a terrible year like 1968, you still are reminded that the earth can rise, too. So that's my thought this holiday season as we wrap up 2020, that hopefully good days are ahead. Happier times are to come. Well, folks, uh, we will be back next year. We are going to continue to be talking about Reconstruction. Uh, But for now, uh, we'll leave you with those words from the one and only Clay Morgan. The earth will rise again. Uh, We all have some work to do, but uh, enjoy your Christmas celebration. And may, uh, may you experience peace on earth and goodwill to all people. Take care of each other out there. Uh, Wear your masks if you have to go out. Stay home if you can. And we'll see you next year.